Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Someone's put a tissue up here. Go Pentecostal. Put that there just in case. Uh, great to see you and a real welcome to you if you're a visitor here. Thank you so much for being part of our church family this morning. You're so welcome here. And also if you're visiting us, uh, having been at the conference, just wave at me if you're visiting from the conference. Great to have you guys here. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we really have had an amazing time at the conference. It really has been a stunning time of encountering God and uh, having Him meet with us. And I was saying to the guys yesterday at the conference, what I love about Father Hot conferences is it always reminds me again about the joy of being a father, the joy of being a dad. And I was, I was telling everyone yesterday morning a story I remembered of uh, when my daughter was very young and my mum was taking her by the hand to the local park and uh, living in Newcastle at the time, so you've got to imagine a little girl, strong Geordie accent, going to a Newcastle park. And uh, my mum kind of looked down at Lauren, and Lauren looked a little bit kind of sad and kind of crestfallen. So my mum said, Lauren, are you okay? What, what's wrong? And she said, Grandma, Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. She's like, what do you mean? She said, well... They told us last week at Sunday school, Jesus died. And I'm really sad about it. And so my mum my said to her, oh, but you know what? The really good news is Jesus didn't stay dead. He's now alive. Je Jesus is alive. He rose again on the third day. And Lauren's little face just broke into this massive smile. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And then they, they arrived at the park and Lauren saw her little friend, Jamie, um, playing on the swings. First thing she did, she ran over to Jamie. She's like, Jamie, Jamie, Jesus is alive. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Which I just thought was brilliant. Shouldn't that just be a normal reaction to the gospel? <laughs> Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. Of course you want to tell somebody else. It's the most natural reaction in the world. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you because it made me happy. It made me happy. So, uh, Today, this is kind of a, the first part of a two-parter, which we're going to carry on with next week. And uh, what I, I love about what Steve's just shared in terms of the gift day is that this is an exciting week for all of us. It's a really, really exciting week because next Sunday is Gift Sunday. Now, what that statement reveals in you will say an awful lot. <laughs> When someone like me stands on a platform and says, next week is gift day, what happens in your brain at that point should tell you something. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Okay? What happens in our little gray cells when people start talking about leaving a legacy, about giving our money, about sowing what God's given us into a subsequent next generation. What goes on in your little gray cells when people start talking about radical generosity? Because money is so often the canvas on which God chooses to reveal both himself and us. How many of you know that money will introduce yourself to yourself? <laughs> it will show you often what is going on inside of you, your attitude towards the material things of life. It's so often one of the things that God uses because God actually, his primary interest is not money. His primary interest is people. That's, that's what God is really interested in in this planet. He's interested in people and how he can engage with people and introduce himself to people. But if he can use money to introduce people to himself, then he will. 
It's the canvas on which he paints pictures for us. I was just remembering as I was preparing this message, a moment in our lives when we just moved to Bedford in 2010, in the summer of 2010, and we'd moved from the northeast uh, down, down here to Bedford, and a couple of weeks after having moved down, we went back for a, a conference up in the, nor- in the northeast of England, and they took an offering, they had a gift to sow into church planting in Africa and uh, serving the poor and all these sorts of things. And at that particular point, if you've ever moved house, you know moving house is expensive. It just is. And so we, at that particular moment of time, had a large total of 300 pounds left in our savings. That was it. And so we went to this kind of northeast conference having just moved. Now, bear in mind, house prices here are about 100,000 pounds more than they are in the northeast just to give you a picture. But while we were there, Carol felt God really clearly speak to her. And God said, if you will give me 300 pounds, I'll give you 30,000. If you give me 300 pounds, I'll give you 30,000. And so I remember she, she shared it with me. It was kind of one of those, okay, whew. One of those kind of moments, because when God speaks like that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a gulp, you know, Lord, is this you, is this me? I hope it's me, because then I can dismiss it. But God, is, is, this, is this really you speaking to me? It sounds like it is, because it sounds a bit crazy and a bit out there. This is all we've got left. And so kind of with a, with a gulp, a prayer, and a kind of hilarious laugh, we, we wrote a check for 300 quid and stuck it in the, in the gift day to sow into what we were doing there as churches in the Northeast. And, you know, it's often those moments, isn't it, where God introduces you to yourself, but also to Him. You, you don't really get to experience God as provider until you need some provision. <laughs> Can, it's those moments, those spaces, those, those leap of faith moments where God suddenly rushes in and does stuff. And God is, was so faithful to his word that next year he provided 30,000 pounds. In fact, he did it twice. He did it a second time six years later because God's the God of double portions. You can't ever outgive God. You just can't. He's the God of super abundance. And the way that you steward your finances and the kind of legacy that you leave go together. And that's why the things that Steve's just shared about in terms of investing in building community, transforming lives, showing hospitality to our town, introducing more people to Jesus, having a house of worship and prayer, raising up creative songs and poetry and art that goes all over the world. That is a legacy worth leaving. That is a legacy worth sowing into. But this issue of stewarding what you have and leaving a legacy go together. Because God's main interest is people. The issue is never how much you have, but how you steward what you do have. A guy called Rick Warren is a very famous pastor in the States. He wrote a very famous book called The Purpose Driven Life. And Rick Warren said for years his practice, him and his wife, was to to, to give 10% of their income. He said, when we were flat broke, we still gave 10% of our income away. And he said, every year we would try and increase that by a little bit. Even when we were flat broke and had hardly two pennies to rub together, we decided we want to live our life on this principle of radical generosity, whether we have much or whether we have little. And he said, so we, we did this for years. And then he said, I wrote this book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he said, almost overnight, I became a multi-millionaire. Literally, within the first year, it just went ballistic all over the world. He became a multi, multi-millionaire, many, many times over. 
said, I, there was so much money coming towards me, I didn't know what to do with it. And someone said to Tim, Rick, why do you think God entrusted you with such a massive multi-million dollar bestseller? And Rick's answer was brilliant. He said, God entrusted it to me because he knew what I would do with the money. Because I'm doing now what I've always done with my money. And now he gives 90% of his income away because he can. God knew what I would do with the money. I love the story of one of our car park stewards who was one day parking cars and saw a man who had no shoes on his feet, evidently homeless. That man's first response was to take off his own shoes and give it to the man who was passing by. Last week, my son received an envelope with 50 pounds in, anonymous. Someone had sent it to him to invest in his musical gifting. We don't know who it was from. The issue is, whether you've got multi-millions of dollars, whether you've got a pair of shoes, or whether you've got 50 pounds, the issue is not how much you have, but what are you doing with what you do have? How are you stewarding the blessings that God has put in your life? What are you doing with it? Whatever it looks like, you were not made just to get by, not just to pay your mortgage and all that kind of stuff. You were made to invest in a legacy, a spiritual legacy, because you are no longer consumers. Do you know that? You're no longer consumers. We, we, we don't come to church to consume. We don't come to church to be entertained. We don't come to church to listen to great sermons and sing awesome songs. That's not why we come to church. We're not consumers. We're not partakers of religious goods and services. That's not who we are. We are the family of God. In fact, Scripture says we are now partakers of the divine nature. You are joining in the legacy that God the Father is building on planet Earth. Your job is to plunder hell and populate heaven. Your job is to disciple the nations of the earth. Your job is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's the legacy that you have been signed up to build. You're not just here to get by. Again, the issue is not how much you have, but what are you doing with what God has given you? How are you stewarding what you have to create a legacy? And next week, we've got an opportunity to do something together that we cannot do apart. You know, on my own, I don't think I can build a transformation center. But I think together we could. You know, I don't think on my own I could build a house of prayer, but I think together that we could. I don't think I can build a car park so that we can introduce more thousands of people to Jesus in this town, but I think together that we could. You know, I love the African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. You can go quickly on your own. You can spend your own money on yourself and live that way for the rest of your life. You can go quickly. You want to go far, we're going to have to do something together as a family, as a unit, as an army. And I think one of the, the key issues that can hinder our ability to handle money well is a poverty mentality. And that's really what I want to go after for the rest of today and next week, a poverty mentality. And a poverty mentality is the thought process that sees the world through the lens of human lack. But how many of you know that is no longer who you are? <laughs> a poverty mentality is, is seen through this filter of lack, of never quite having enough. But actually, you have now been transplanted into a royal family where you see things from the perspective of God's superabundance. 
That's the new perspective that you have. And so I want to look at this issue a little bit together. And I want to start by asking you this question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Fundamentally, all of behavior is driven by belief. So the, the way that you choose to live your life is flowing from what you believe. Do you agree with that statement? Okay. The way you behave flows from what you believe. The same with our money, with our resources, with our time, with our families. The way you behave in these areas actually reflects something that you believe about God and also about yourself. And one of the stories I love in Scripture is the story of Joseph because Joseph is a a man who reveals that whether he was down a dark, smelly hole, whether he was a slave in Potiphar's house, whether he was a prince in charge of the superpower of the time, Egypt, he remained the same. Because actually his behavior was driven by a belief about himself and about God. His circumstances didn't change it. His stances changed his circumstances. Because he understood who he was. And this is what we read in Genesis 37.3. Now Israel, that is Joseph's dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. How many of you know that's actually not a good idea? Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for Joseph. Now, how many of you know favoritism is not great? It's wrong. Don't do that. But Joseph did grow up in his father's house, understanding he was his daddy's favorite. He grew up with that understanding. He lived in that environment of super abundant favor towards him because of who he was. And I think really it was that that defined all of Joseph's circumstances in his life. His his behavior was fueled by his belief. He knew he was a favored son. So you can put a, a pauper in a palace and pretty soon he'll turn it into a prison. Because who you are defines the circumstances around you. But you can put a prince like Joseph, who knew inside, I am a favored son. You can put him in a prison, and pretty soon he's turned it into a palace. (laughs) Because you always export around you the environment that you're most aware that is within you. That's the scary thing when we look at our families. Our families reflect who we are. (laughs) Sorry. For some of you, that was bad news. It's true, isn't it? We are creating with our decisions, with our choices, the world that we end up living in. And I think for some of us, the, the issue is that we have faith that Jesus has saved us, but we don't have faith that Jesus has truly changed us. We understand Jesus has saved me from my sins. I'm so grateful that he saved me from my sins. But you know what? The other part of the gospel is this. He has also fundamentally now changed who you are. You are not just a a better version of your former self. You're not just kind of a, a more polished version of who you formerly used to be. No, Scripture says you are now a brand new creation, a never before seen person on the planet. God has recreated you. You've been born again into his family. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a brand new creature now. He's not just saved you from your sins, he's now made you a saint. 
He's made you a son. He's made you a daughter. You are now a royal heir. That is who you are. You're an ambassador with Christ. You're a completely new creature. But what so many of us do is that we bring our old stinking thinking with us into our new Christian life. And we still act like paupers, even though we're now princes. The issue is not with him, and the issue is not with the quality of work he's done in your heart. The issue is what's going on in here. That's why Romans 12 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Be transformed. What's going on up here? Because what goes on up here will define your behavior. You will act out of this. I remember when my, uh, my brother was first adopted into our family, he'd had a, a real kind of train wreck of a life up to the point where he moved in with us at eight years old. And he'd lived life in this reality of, I've got to provide for myself. You know, I don't know where my next meal's coming from. I don't know who's going to provide for me. I've had no father. I've had no security. I've got to make my own way. And I remember when he was adopted into our family at mealtimes, he would always be the very first person to finish his food. I mean, he would literally like, <laughs> like he would just gobble it down. And then if ever there were seconds or like bread rolls on the table, he would take a bread roll. When no one was looking, he'd stick it in his pocket. Why? Because even though he was in a new family, he was still thinking with an old mentality. That's what so many of us still do, particularly when it comes to money. We bring our pauper mentalities in to a new princely environment, and it just doesn't fit anymore. That's not how you're meant to live. Because you're a brand new creation. Do you know, money is a mirror that will reflect back to you the reality of your belief system. Now, I personally quite like those mirrors that lie to you. You know, I like those mirrors that make you look thinner, look more handsome. You know, those weighing scales where you stand on them and they're not accurate and you think, I am so light. This is awesome. How did that happen? I, I like those, but actually, most of the times, mirrors reflect back to you what you really look like. Your money is the same. If you want to take a snapshot of how you're doing as a pauper or a prince, look at how you handle your money. It's a mirror. It will tell you an awful lot. Question is, what's your money telling you right now? When you think about this church family, what does your money tell you right now about your sense of ownership and belonging in this church family? What is your money telling you? What does your money tell you about your priorities? Does it tell you that you care for others and not just yourself? What's it telling you? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. It's easy to sing songs. But sometimes the hard, fast reality of what we really believe is in your bank account. Someone said this, that the last part of a man to get converted is his wallet. I think there's some accuracy to that. Someone said, a man shows what he is by what he does with what he has. And actually, biblical wealth is not primarily about money. <laughs> a biblical wealth mentality is actually not primarily about pounds 
and Pence. It's actually about identity. Uh, a friend of mine, he's recently started to work in the financial management industry. And uh, he hasn't been in that industry for most of his life, but in the last six months, he's just been involved in the financial management industry. And he's someone whose family I hugely, hugely respect. I look at his family, I look at the way he's raised his children, I think you are a quality, quality family. I, 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 I can see the effects of God in his family. I really respect him. And he was telling me that he had to pitch uh, the kind of vision of what he's doing to some CEOs and bosses. And he was super kind of nervous about it. And he was just praying about, how do I start this conversation? I don't feel very experienced in this whole area of financial management. But then he said he got it. And so as he stood before these CEOs in London, he started his pitch with this. He said, I've spent the last 20 years in the wealth management industry, but I've only focused on money in the last six months. Did you get that? I've been involved in the wealth management industry for the last 20 years, but it's only in the last six months I've actually focused on money. Because biblical wealth mentality is not primarily about pounds and pence, it's about identity. <laughs> it's about who you're aware you are and who he is. Biblical wealth is being aware I have now been saved into a superabundant kingdom under a superabundant father where I can believe for more than I can ask or imagine, far beyond my wildest dreams, is always grace upon grace, truth upon truth, mercy upon mercy. This is the kingdom that I've been saved into. And this transforms the way I view my family and my friendships and my serving and my time and my career and my future and my past and my present. Super I'm living now under the funnel of God's super abundant grace. Woo. I've been involved in the wealth management industry for 20 years. It's only just now I've started thinking about money. <laughs> See, wealth is not primarily about assets. It's about mindsets. It's not about your assets. It's about your mindsets. What's going on up here? It's about identity. So you know, Jesus was the most wealthy man that ever walked the planet. And yet most of the time he didn't have two beans to rub together. <laughs> he was the wealthiest man to ever walk the planet. Which meant that you put Jesus into any environment and he would transform it. Because he was living out of this. He was a wealth manager. He was managing the right kind of wealth. Which meant that whatever he had, he turned it into something fruitful. Because it comes from identity. It comes from understanding I've been made as a royal ambassador. I'm carrying the kingdom in my heart. I've got the spirit of the living God living in me. That transforms everything. Do you know, I've known incredibly rich people who've had an incredible poverty mentality. I've known incredibly poor people who've had an incredibly wealthy mentality. It's not about your assets, it's about your mindsets. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are God's chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I love that scripture. You are now a royal priesthood. And one of the reasons that I'm really laboring this point this morning 
is as Steve said, you know, 35% of this church give regularly. And by regularly, I mean they give up to four times a year. 35% of us give at least four times a year. And 65% of us don't. That tells me two things. Firstly, it tells me there is incredible generosity in this church. This is an incredibly generous church. I'm a radically generous church. I mean, I love being part of a radically generous church. That is amazing. It's phenomenal that we are doing all that we're doing together. And if you are someone who's sowing in in that way into the life of this church, thank you. Guys, let's keep doing this together. Let's not give up. Let's not lose heart. Let's keep on going. Let's keep charging the hill together and see what God will do. But it tells me something else as well. It tells me that for some of us, your money is not yet caught up with your identity. Your money is still screaming back to you. You're still thinking like a pauper. Stop it. That's not who you are anymore. Remember, it's not about how much you have. You might have a pair of shoes. You might have 50 pounds. You might have a million dollars. The issue is not how much you have, but what are you doing with what you have? She said, you sow with a little. You be faithful with a little. It will turn into much. It will turn into something because you can never outgive God. 300 pounds can turn into 30,000 pounds in God's hands. You put five loaves and two fish in Jesus' hand and watch what he can do with it. This is whose hands is your money in? You know, when a gift day is announced, a poverty mentality says, I think I'm going to skip next Sunday. Uh, you know, I really like the sermons. Give them my money. I'm not so keen on that. Uh, you know, we could have a week off next week. You know, we could, we could have a lie-in. You know, just, and you start to think about what you could do with the money that you would give if you were here. Like, those are the kind of things that go on in our heads when we're living with a poverty mentality. We think, I'm sure, I'm sure someone else will, will contribute. You know, God, please let someone else give a really large amount of money. God, please, just call someone, Father, to really make a sacrificial offering next Sunday. You know, that, that's poverty mentality thinking. Think, uh, someone else is gonna, someone else is gonna do the stuff. Brilliant, and then I'm gonna be able to enjoy the transformation center when it arrives. Yeah. Poverty mentality. Actually, when you begin to realize I am now a prince, and my my finances are like soldiers in an army that I get to deploy in such a way that they're gonna bring a legacy. Bring on next Sunday. I cannot wait for next Sunday. I cannot wait to seek God this week and ask him how I can play my part. I cannot wait to see when I stand in glory the effect of that moment where I chose to give. Well, I will see the reward for sacrifice in this life that I will reap for eternity. I cannot wait to sow into my heavenly bank account at the end of all things. I cannot wait to change some lives by what I have to offer. I cannot wait. This is an incredible opportunity. 
I could partake in changing a town. I could partake in changing lives. I could partake in introducing people to Jesus. I could, I could actually shift something in my own heart. I've been thinking like a pauper. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to break out of that, and I'm going to enter the joy and the adventure of radical generosity. What an incredible opportunity you have, and we have together. We're no longer going to see the world through lack we're going to see the world through the super abundance of God's grace. I'm believing for good things. I'm believing for better things. Believing for great things. Because it's always more than we ask or imagine. Who do you think you are? Have a look in the mirror. It'll tell you. And next week when we come together, I want to just begin to unpack with you some of the financial attitudes of royalty. Some of the financial attitudes of royalty. We're going to look at our attitude towards favor. We're going to look at our attitude towards needs, our attitude towards ownership, our attitude towards work, our attitude towards legacy, towards security, towards gifts, to obstacles, and to powerful people. Oh, it's going to be so good. You're going to want to... You're going to want to be here and bring at least two friends with you. It's going to be that good. And guys, can I just encourage us together? Let's be praying this week. We're going to be praying in our family, asking Jesus what we can sow in. Let's, let's not miss these moments. These are key moments. I just want to finish with this story. My dad was telling me uh, the church that he's a part of in Norfolk, they've just had a, a big gift day. And they were going for 300,000 pounds. They're a church of maybe a quarter of the size of ours, maybe 200 people. And they were going for 300,000 pounds to sow into the next phase of their building development. And it came to gift day, and 75,000 pounds was given on gift day, which in a way is amazing, but also in a way is kind of disappointing, if you're honest, if you're going for 300,000 pounds. And so the, the leaders of the church got together and like, Maybe we just completely got this wrong. Maybe we were just shooting way out of the park. Maybe we just, we, we didn't get it right. But as they talked, they're like, no, God was in this. This was God's work. This is what he was calling us to do. And so they called the church to a week of prayer. They said, come on, church. This is what's given so far. Let's just seek God. Let's put our money in his hands and see what he will do. And so they just began to gather and pray and pray and pray. And then the next Sunday, they did like an unscheduled second gift day. Got given 400,000 pounds. 400,000 pounds. 200 people who understood this. He's the source of it all. You put your five loaves, two fish in his hands. Watch what he does. <laughs> the issue is not methodology. Methodology intimacy, knowing who your daddy is, knowing who you are.